0: Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello everyone, Rick Thomas here with Life Over Coffee. I'm so glad that you are with me. I got a big question for you. Are you committed to the dearest place on earth? This could be one of the most important questions that you will ever hear. The local church is the dearest place on earth outside of our unique families. I do not want the church to supplant our families The families in which we live in, especially as we're growing up, it has the most powerful shaping influence on our lives that we will take in. Actually, I started to say that we take into adulthood, but we'll actually take to the grave. That cement-setting time in our young lives is the most transformative, and of course, you continue to connect with your family all the days of your life, making the family unit the most important body that you will ever be part of. However, there is one place where the body of Christ can gather, where all of these unique families can come together as one to celebrate our King while caring for each other in all of the various contexts that are possible. It is an amazing means of grace where families can gather to spur one another on to love and good works. And though all Christians should commit themselves to a local gathering, it's not always the case. And so let me ask about you. Are you committed to your local church? Uh, do you make your local church, your, your fellow members, do you make it easy for them to care for you? Now, I know this can be a difficult question for some people because it is true People have been hurt by the local church. There have been bad things that have happened uh, within local church context, and people withdraw. And you hear this expression all the time, well, I just don't want to be a part of organized religion. Now, that is really a silly statement to make. I mean, what are you saying? You want to be part of unorganized religion? I mean, I I get what they are implying, that they've had some kind of bad experience, and so they are reluctant to be part of a local church. But that's an unfortunate saying And even more, unfortunately, uh, that is a sad result for people who do not want to engage the local church any longer. The problem is not the local church or God's model that he put forth in the New Testament. Obviously, the the problem are the people that make up the local church. But still, we're not going to find a place where we're we're not going to find utopia here on earth. There are bad people in every context, no matter where it is that you spend your time. But the local church is the best place for Christians to come together outside of their families, to encourage one another, to spur one another on. And yeah, there will be bad things that will happen. And so I don't want to be harsh or unkind, definitely not judgmental. I do understand what it's like to be... Pummeled and abused by your local church. I have been in that chair myself. Still, yet, I'm not throwing God's uh, model out because it is an excellent model. It is our best bet to find the care that we need and also give us many opportunities to care for others, to spur one another on. And so, therefore, the question still stands are you committed to your local church? If you are going through a rough patch because of your local church, don't give up on it. I know it will take time to overcome whatever may have happened to you, but don't give up on the local church. It is a, a good thing. There are many people who have given their lives to the local church, and there are more good churches than bad ones, and I'm sad that maybe you have had a, a bad experience, but it's absolutely essential outside of our families, that we commit ourselves to the dearest place on earth, the body of Christ. Let me share a story about a family who, they were part of the local church, but they were not committed to it. It's my friends Biff and Mabel. They have been struggling in their marriage for years. Biff took his first sip of alcohol when he was 19 years old. Biff never stopped drinking. He's 41 years old today and a closet alcoholic. Mabel pled with Biff for over a decade to stop his drinking. He was a mean drunk. She stopped begging 11 years ago. They came to counseling after Biff lost his third job in the past year, and though he did not know it, Mabel had been living in adultery for the previous four years. A lack of connectivity to the local church became apparent at the core of their problems, though there were many of their problems. I am not saying that this is the primary issue, but they were doing life outside a caring community of Christ-like disciple-makers at every turn. Sadly, Biff and Mabel did not see the importance of connecting to their local church. Their obliviousness was enough for me to pause And reflect. I was thinking to myself, do you love your local church? Are you practically connected to your local church? I'm not talking to Biff and Mabel now, I'm talking to you and me. Do you love your local church? Are you practically connected to your church? Who is the person in your church that knows what's going on in your life? This is a thing that I've seen over and over again. You can hide in plain sight, and this is something that we want to address as often as we can. We want to be aware of this. We want this to be top of mind Because the temptation is to put on our fig leaves, and we can even participate in a local church gathering in all the context that they provide, and we can still hide in plain sight. Charles Spurgeon preached a message about the local church called The Dearest Place on Earth. Spurgeon saw the church as the center of the Christian's life. Our individualistic, isolated culture that prefers to connect in cyberspace is a universe away from the culture in Spurgeon's day. Today, the individual, in his cyber silo, is at the center of it all, while the church sits on the periphery. A typical local church is a weak competitor in the fight for calendar space in the Christian's life, a far cry from the early church. Listen to Acts 2 as we get one of our early snapshots of what the local church life was back in that day, 2,000 years ago. This is Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need, and day by day attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved, that is Acts 2. 42 through 47. Now just imagine for a minute, have a thought experiment, if you will, If Biff and Mabel had the values of the early church, now as I said earlier, their core problems were many, and this is not the most core of all. I mean, each one of them had a particular issue that they had to wrestle through, but there's always a constellation of issues when sin goes unabated, and one of their issues was their lack of commitment to their local church. They isolated from the local body, the very people who had the best shot at helping them. Let me list for you three of these values that Bill and Mabel were not, that they were missing out on. And as I work through this list, I, I trust that it will challenge you and me to examine our lives to see how we compare to those first followers of Christ in Acts chapter 2. And so here's three, three values that you heard in that text that I shared with you. One of them is community. It said, all things in common. The community life of the believer lives out in reciprocal relationships. We cannot experience the full measure of our church if we are not seeking to live with one another in community. Genuine, authentic, transparent, and honest relationships are essential to life in a community. A couple of questions for you. What parts of your life do you hold back from those who should know you the best? Is your church life experience more about a rote duty, filling in a spot, or is it about gospel joy that spills out on others? One of the values that Bill and Mabel were missing out on because of their detachment from the local church community life was community. Number two, service. It says they were distributing proceeds to all. Giving our lives away without demanding anything in return is at the heart of the gospel. I am not saying you shouldn't expect anything in return. Of course, when you love others, you should expect some kind of reciprocality, but if it doesn't happen... Those of us who are filled with the gospel, then we don't demand others to fill our cups as though they are our gods. God fills us, and out of that overflow, we give our lives away to others, not demanding that they return anything, and that is really at the heart of the gospel. We are stewards of God's stuff rather than an owner of our stuff. And by the way, our stuff includes us to our own bodies. We are not our own. And so here's a couple of questions for you as you think about service in addition to community, two of the values that we see in Acts chapter 2. Are you joyfully giving yourself away to your local church? What does sacrificial giving look like in your life? And then the third value that Biff and Mabel were not benefiting from in their local church because they were not a part of it was worship. It says in Acts 2, they were praising God. God wired us for worship. Worshippers are who we are and what we do. The vertical relationship between us and God is the greatest commandment of all, to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Our adoration and affection for God determine how we will live our lives in the context of our local churches. If you see a person that is isolating or disconnecting from the body of Christ, then they have already disconnected from the head. Now some of them will say that I will just worship God my own way, I'll serve God my own way. Well, they're doing that in disobedience to what God's Word teaches in the New Testament. A couple of questions. Is your Sunday church meeting experience primarily a celebration of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? Or is your participation in the local church some other purpose? How are you characterized? A person of praise or a person that is lacking passion for God? Those are some of the values that you see in Acts 2. Those are the values that, that were not part of Biff and Mabel's life. Community service, and worship. One of the sadder byproducts of the seeker-sensitive movement is the creation of a new category for Christians, the church attendee or the church attender. We've never had such a, an accommodating category for the Christian in the church's history. This lack of commitment to the local church is in part what keeps me in business as a parachurch organization. It is rare for me to counsel people actively involved in their local church and living authentic reciprocal relationships with other genuine believers. And for those of you who do the work of discipleship or you're counseling other people, I want you to remember that sentence. Because as you come alongside them, as they seek your help, as you assess them, one of the assessment points, one of the data points that you will have to make, are they involved in a local church? Are they living in authentic reciprocal relationships with other genuine believers? The majority report says most of the time they are not. It is hard to have ongoing, unrelenting problems in your life or relationships if you are actively engaged in a local church, living in authentic reciprocal relationships with other genuine believers. Active church engagement is the point Biff and Mabel missed. Now, unless I'm going to become someone's life coach, I cannot provide long-term care in the way that they need care. I'm not going to be Bill F. M. Abel's life coach. I'm not going to be the person that bails them out of their trouble this week, next week, six months from now, and six years from now. No parachurch organization can do this, and God does not call a parachurch organization to do this. Long-term soul care is the job of the local church, and so please permit me to let me make it personal for you, and this will help also for those of you who have disengaged from the local church because bad things have happened to you. And again, I'm not minimizing what happened to you, but we need to have a robust understanding of anthropology, harmoniology, and soteriology, and so let me make it a bit personal. I will not stop sinning. In this life I wish I could stop sinning but I am a realist I'm a Christian who sins and because of my sinfulness I need external care from others my sinfulness is one of the primary reasons I am committed to my local church Biff Mabel and Rick need help for the glory of God and the sake of my wife and our children I plead with my local church, specifically certain friends inside our local church, to come alongside me to care for me so I can mature into the man God wants me to be. I cannot fathom being a regular attendee, not for long. I know we have to be tire kickers. I know when it comes time to look for a church, there will be a season where you're looking for a church, and you'll be a regular attendee, but it is a regular attendee with intentionality because that person is planning on being part of this local church, or uh, they will determine that they are not going to be part of this local church, and they will continue their church search. But as far as being an ongoing regular attendee in a local church, I cannot even fathom that idea. Let me share with you Acts uh, chapter 2. I call this Revisited. Uh, This is a paraphrase. I wrote this. This is not Revelation, by the way. It's not Scripture, and it did not come from God. But here is a retelling of Acts 2 in our modern culture. And they were not devoted to the pastor's teaching or fellowship or the breaking of bread and the prayers. Grumbling came upon every soul. And many wondered and critiqued the things done through the leadership, though they believed they were a group of individuals, and they were and they were selling all kinds of stuff to keep the proceeds because, well, they were greedy. Whenever they felt like it, they attended the church meetings, beating it to the restaurants afterward. They received their food with glad and gluttonous hearts, superficiality, praising God, because they craved the favor of all the people. And the Lord added more attendees to their number daily, and the church continued to weaken. In Hebrews chapter number 13, verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? "...for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account." Let them do this with joy, and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. A pastor is a man called by God to care for people. The Bible elevates the seriousness of the pastor's call by stating that God will hold him accountable for how he cares for his members. And then Peter weighed in on the seriousness of the call by using the metaphor of a shepherd and his sheep. He said this in 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. There are a lot of warnings here in Hebrews, in Peter. And then Brother James came from another angle while speaking on the seriousness of the call when he said God would hold teachers to a higher standard of accountability. And you'll read this in James chapter 3, verse number one. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There is a high level and a lot of accountability that God Almighty places on pastors. Now, once upon a time, I was part of a pastoral team in a local church, and these three verses, along with a few others, it helped me to understand the seriousness of God's call on my life. Caring for people is essential to God, and it is important to me, too. However, it's not humanly possible to care for everybody. I don't want God to hold me accountable for everybody, especially those who will not commit to the local church. A person who attempts to care for everyone will be unable to care for anyone well. But when a person committed to our local church, we were humbled—I was humbled—by their commitment, and I sought to bring consistent and regular practical care to them. But then there was also another group of people where the lines were not as clear as the committed group. They were the uncommitted ones. It is hard to discern what level of care I should provide for them. And sometimes I would pray this way, Father, I love these people, but no matter how much I teach or how much I appeal, they won't commit to our body. Lord, would you be so kind to change their hearts? Would you persuade them to plug into our local church or, dear Lord, lead them to another one where they would be in faith to commit? Please don't hold me accountable for them if they are unwilling to commit to our care. Will you give me the words to say to them that would encourage them to engage us or find another church? Amen. And I prayed some type of prayer, a prayer like that, many, many times. There were questions that rolled around in my mind when a person attended but never committed to our church. And though I didn't ask the questions the way they are listed, the way that I'm going to share them with you, these questions that rolled around in my mind, they do convey the ideas that I tried to communicate to the occasional attendee who would never commit. For example... Do you believe in what we are doing as a church? Do you understand and believe in the vision and values of our church? And if you do, are you willing to commit? I wanted to understand them. What is going on in your mind? You have been attending for a long time now. You said you were looking for a church. You say you love our church. You're planning on staying here, but you're not committed to our church. We're not the only church in town. It is okay if you do not attend here. There are other churches you can find. Please be free to look elsewhere. Though we would love to have you, you can go somewhere else. And there were a few people that I actually helped find another church because we had that discussion. In fact, in this very room in my studio a number of years ago, we sat with a couple who, who loved our church, but uh, they, they liked they, they like tertiary things a little more. They put a little more emphasis on tertiary things than primary things. And we knew that our church was not going to change to accommodate them. And again, it wasn't the main thing. We're not talking about the gospel here, but they had preferences that were very high on their list, but not on ours. And I knew that they would be frustrated attending our church. And so I had a conversation with them in this room right here. And I led them, I helped them to find another church, which they did, and they plugged into that church and became active members of it. Sometimes I would say, what would you like to do? I mean, I need to know what you are in faith to do. Are you in faith to be here to engage with us, or do you believe you should look for another church? And that's part of the conversation that I had with this couple. Where you land is not the point. But settling somewhere is absolutely essential. How can I help you get plugged into this church or another church? Please let me know how I can serve you. Sometimes I would say God holds me responsible for how I care for our people. It is impossible to commit to every person who walks through our doors. However, we are eager and we're excited to invest in those who believe they're supposed to be here. Do you believe you should be here? Those were some of the questions that rolled around in my mind as I I tried to get a bead on what they were thinking and what they had planned to do, because these verses that I shared with you earlier, that formed a presupposition for how I saw people who were participating in our local church. As a pastor, I desired to commit to those who were part of our local church. However, their commitment was the key to how and when and why and what of my pastoral care. God was holding me accountable to some people, but he was not holding me responsible for all people. Appealing for commitment was why we tried to draw a line so that we could work hard wisely, efficiently, and with much joy without sacrificing our families. It's what I was saying earlier. If you try to care for everyone, you will not care for anyone, and you will sacrifice your family. I am not saying that we had cornered the market on how to do church. We were not the only game in town. I mean, we were constantly changing, but at the end of the day, the way we did church had to look like something, and we had clear ideas of how to care for people. So we presented our way and we asked for a commitment. Every church does it different. They do it according to how the leadership believes that they should do it. And that is the beauty of the diversity, the various churches all around the world. Who would want churches all doing it the same way? The gospel's the same, it ties us all together, but the preferences and the culture, there are many things that require churches to be different, and we believe that our church should be this way, realizing that there are other churches that are doing it better. Sometimes people did not prefer our care model, and that was okay. We praise God for how other biblical churches provided care, and if an attendee did not want to commit to us, we would help them to find another place to where they could fully invest their lives. Honestly, when people left our church, I would praise God that they left, their ch- left our church if they left well and if they left with the purpose of finding another church that they could plug into. Ultimately, the church is not yours or mine. It's God's. Likewise, the local church does not grow because of what we can scheme or or manage. There's no magical formula for achieving a vibrant church life. God gave us gifts that we must apply in the wisest ways that we know while trusting Him for the results. Biff and Mabel were regular attendees at their local church. Their commitment to their local church was similar to their commitment to their marriage. It was weak. They never fully engaged in the dearest place on earth for the glory of God, the benefit of themselves, and the blessing of others. Peter gives us a wonderful passage that it talks to us about what God has given to us, but it also talks about our responsibility with those gifts in Second Peter uh, chapter 1. And you've heard this before, starting at verse number three. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." And the local church is a place to where fellow believers can come together, and they can exercise the gifts, the mercy that God has, been, has granted to all of us, and we can work together helping each other. There are many things that you can do alone, but sanctification is not one of them. Biff and Mabel tried it alone. And eventually their marriage fell apart. And so the question remains, are you, am I, are we committed to the dearest place on earth? Let me ask you a few questions, and I would love for you to share this with a couple of your friends. That would be fantastic. Question number one, what are your primary values when looking for a local church? What I would encourage you to do is to go to our store and get the book. It's a free digital download called Local Church, and it walks through the things to look for in a local church. I mentioned three values earlier, community and serving and worship. We saw that in that text in Acts 2, but it would be a good thought experiment for you to have a conversation with a friend and talk about what you Uh, value in a local church, and you're not going to find it in every church, but it's important to know what you're looking for and what's important, especially when it aligns with God's Word. Number two, how are, you, how are you experiencing authentic reciprocal relationships in your local church while supporting the vision of your local church? I trust you are experiencing authentic reciprocal relationships, and it won't be with everybody in the building, everybody that gathers on Sunday, because people are all, all over the place in any, any one assembly But if you do not have at least that one person, ask God to give you that person so you can start building that relational bridge to strengthen and fortify your relationship so that it can be authentic, reciprocal, so that you can mutually benefit from one another in your local church. Question number three, are you a member or a regular attendee? Why? I spoke earlier about there is a reason to be an attendee. But an attendee status should only be for a bit, only for a season, we should commit to the local church and and participate in all of the all of the benefits that we receive but but also so that we can give and there are reasons for this in our culture today uh, because you want to work in children's ministry you want to be part of what's going on with the youth you want to be part of a small group and maybe part of a small group requires babysitting and in our culture today as sad as it is there's background checks which fantastic that we have that kind of high security And when I attend our local church, our children are not young uh, any longer. They're not in the nursery and and those youth-type meetings. But when they were, I was very glad that our churches had uh, security. But in order to be a leader in any of those contexts, well, you have to be a member of a local church. And so some people will say, well, the Bible doesn't talk about membership. Yeah, I get it. Understand the Bible doesn't. Uh, but culturally where we are it is essential and I thank God that that our church just doesn't willy-nilly put anybody in a place of leadership that there is a vetting process and part of that vetting process is our commitment to the local church. Number 4, would you say your commitment to your local church is more significant than your commitment to your job or what about your hobbies? And so if you were to rank your hobbies, your job, and your local church, how would they rank as far as your commitment, your dedication uh, to those three things? And then number five, from your pastor's perspective, why is it essential for you to commit to the local church? Perhaps thinking about this from your pastor's perspective will help you to think through, oh, God's calling him to do something, and I am not making it easy for him because only attend one in four or two in four, take summers off. No, it said in that text in Hebrews, and you heard it, let them pastor you with joy, not with groaning. Are you with joy for your pastor to pastor you? Are you committed to the dearest place on earth? Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.